Hello all sentient beings and welcome to Transmissions Alt Mode, where we talk about all news, comics, and media related to the... On this episode, we've got a very special interview with Chris Ryle, Editor-in-Chief of IDW Publishing. We delve into Chris's long history with IDW and his involvement with getting the Transformers comics to where they are today. All this, plus a little bit of listener feedback on this episode of Transmissions Alt Mode. Welcome to Transmissions Alt Mode, the podcast that didn't get a press pass to New York Comic Con either. I'm your host, Charles, a.k.a. Big C, and I'm joined by the excellent Transmissions team. Jeremy, a.k.a. Yakko. Hey, how you doing? And Daryl, the Cybertronian Beast. Yo, let's talk Transformers. I guess we should clarify, we didn't actually apply no. for a press pass to New we York will have no one there because we're not going to be there. But they should have sent us one anyway. <laughs> we get all the press passes now. <laughs> all right. Uh, this is going to be a slightly different show. It is a slow week. It's a no new IDW Comics week. We were able to talk to Chris Ryle, uh, the editor-in-chief of IDW Publishing. That was a great interview. It was all thanks to Mike. Uh, Mike met him at HasCon. Uh, back in September and uh, helped hooked us up with his contact information and then we set up the interview. So uh, thank you, Mike. And also thank you, Chris, for uh, for sitting down with us and talking to us about IDW and Transformers, of course. Well, we do have a, a little bit of uh, feedback that we did want to mention before we get into the interview, just because uh, I did tease that I'd get to this feedback in the toy show. And so I want to fulfill that promise. Uh, but of course, we got to start off with donations because we did get a new donation this week from Brandon. And so thank you, Brandon, for, for stepping up. And uh, Brandon, you should be able to download that new episode of Transmissions Declassified, which also went live this week. So all our Patreons have access to the new episode of Transmissions Declassified, all about third party toys. And that was led by Daryl. And you got a panel of transformers podcast superstars to join him so you should all check that out and if you can't if you want to check it out and you haven't joined the patreon all you got to do is sign up for the patreon and there you go also don't forget we will have our second uh, toy hacks drawing this month so brandon got in just under the wire and he will be in the uh in the pool for the october entries so uh, we'll do that in a future show all right so let's talk about some feedback This is becoming a, a running theme here. I'm getting corrected again. So a uh, friend of the show, Dinobot Maximize, was <laughs> very excited to give us a correction here from episode 43. I mentioned that Michael Dorn, who is going to be a voice in the new Titans Return Machinima series, is was going to voice Emissary. But he's not. He's actually Fortress Maximus. So I got that wrong. And Emissary is actually going to be voiced by... Jason David Frank, the Green Ranger from Power Rangers. So all the folks who are have nostalgia for Power Rangers, I'm sure that's a that's a big deal. Uh, I'm more excited about Michael Dorn, but that's just because mm-hmm. uh, I'm not into the Power Rangers. But And Will Wheaton. Yes. <laughs> that's also pretty exciting. I'm, I'm curious to see what he does with Perceptor. So, yeah. so thanks, Dinobot, for that correction. Okay, our uh, next bit of feedback comes from Richie. This is part one of the two-part question that Richie asked uh, over Facebook. He sent us a Facebook message 
So uh, we read the second part that was toy related in the uh, in the toy show. But now we're going to do the comics related question here. So I did want to mention Richie said uh, one of the things I enjoy about transmissions is how it is currently structured into two shows, one dedicated to the Transformers in general and another dedicated to the Transformers comic books. Recently, I've been spoiled by listening to two different podcasts regarding the IDW comics, one by a podcast that hardly talks about the comic books and another where they casually talked about something that happened recently in Optimus Prime. This grinds my gears since there are, were no warnings of such spoilers. I am currently at the end of phase one as I've recently gotten most of the IDW Transformers series from various online sales. Anyway, it was a great idea to give the comic book talk its own show as it lets listeners who do not want to hear the spoilers from the comics to not hear the podcast. It also lets listeners who finished reading a particular issue to easily find an episode where you guys reviewed the issue. Well, thanks uh, for that feedback, Richie. I think that was one of the main reasons we wanted to split the shows. Yeah. Because we, we didn't want people to skip an entire show and like miss all the toy stuff because they didn't want to, they hadn't read the comic yet. So I'm glad it's working out. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's it's we're coming up on a year anniversary since we did split the shows, and it seems like uh, for the most part, it's been more uh, people like it more than mm-hmm. they hate it. So we, we yeah, have I mean, had a f- couple of people didn't like it, but yeah, I, I also have seen people say that like they stopped listening to alt mode because they're not happy with the current comics themselves, but they they still listen to the other shows. So I, I'm just happy that we're giving people the flexibility to you know subscribe to one or the other or both. Subscribe on your friends' computers, everything like that. But yeah, you can do whatever you want. All right. And then uh, Richie has a question. So uh, if he decided, if I decided to skip a big portion of phase one and two to keep current with the IDW series to prevent further recent spoilers, where's a good place to start reading? And so I did actually reply to him on Facebook, but I'll uh, I'll mention what I said here and, and we can talk a little bit about it. Uh, but I, yeah, I said... Basically, I'd start with Phase 2, the beginning of Phase 2, which was the death of Optimus Prime, and then the two series, More Than Meets the Eye and Robots in Disguise. So that's really where the, I guess, the, you know, the the modern high point of the, the Transformers comics is in IDW that starts the era with John Barber and James Roberts writing the comics and the art by Alex Milne and Andrew Griffith, so... Uh, I think those are, you know, and then we have the colors by Josh Bertram and Josh Perez. So uh, these are really a high point in both art and uh, writing for these two series and really uh, pushes the Transformers comics forward. I think we think back about this is the new era, but that started in 2012. So that's still over five years of comics to get through. So I would say if you really want a kind of a closer starting point with less reading to, to get backed up. The Dark Cybertron crossover is also a good starting point because it gives you the status quo where, you know, there's a big change with uh, with Megatron. And that's, uh, you know, that's interesting. And that continues forward uh, from More Than Meets the Eye 28 and Robots in Disguise 28. So that's at the end of the Dark Cybertron stories. Uh, and Dark Cybertron started with More Than Meets the Eye 23 to 27 and Robots in Disguise 23 to 27 with the one shots bookending it the dark cybertron chapter one and dark cybertron conclusion i mean and the dark cybertron itself wasn't the best story but it was designed as another jumping in point so yeah uh, if you want to just kind of fast forward a bit that would be the next best place yeah and also you know i have to always uh plug the transformers wiki tfwiki.net 
they have synopses of every comic issue. So, you know, if you missed any comics, uh, the, the wiki entries are pretty comprehensive. I mean, you don't, you don't get the full experience of the issue, but you get the, the major high points of the story, any continuity notes and everything. So it's very, uh, you know, it's a very good reference there if you, if you miss any issues. So, yeah. And, and if you really, really like those on the wiki and if after you've, Donate to us on Patreon. Donate to Chris McFeely on Patreon because he's the one that does the bulk of the comic stuff. Yeah. And he's also making those great Transformers The Basics uh, YouTube videos. So. Yes, which another uh, one just came out on the Dinobots last weekend. Nice. Yep. All right. So uh, that's the feedback for this week. Thanks, everyone, for uh, writing in. Continue to send in your questions. So we appreciate that. And so now we're going to get into our interview with Chris Ryle. We have a very special guest on the show today. He is the Chief Creative Officer and Editor-in-Chief of IDW Publishing. In this role for more than a decade, he has shepherded many licensed and original properties for IDW Comics, including our beloved Transformers. He's also a prolific comic book writer in his own right, having co-created the amazing Zombies vs. Robots series, and more recently reviving Rom the Space Knight in the new IDW Hasbro universe. Please welcome Mr. Chris Ryle. That's a nice intro. (laughs) <laughs> we tried to do some research before before we uh, talk to our interview subjects. <laughs> no, it, it sounds impressive. I appreciate it, and happy to be here, guys. Yeah, thanks for coming. Yeah, so uh, let's let's start back at the beginning. So, how did you get into the comics industry? It's funny. Um, I do these panels sometimes where where you know the topic is how to break into comics, and every single person's story is always different. So this story will be of zero use to anybody else looking to uh, to find a foothold, but. Essentially, I was I was doing other kinds of writing and not crazy about it. I was like a tech writer and a corporate speech writer and doing advertising, um, copywriting and stuff. And so just as a way to, to sort of do something more fulfilling on the side, I would do these. I would just start writing comic reviews. This is a while back. This is probably 15 years ago. Um, and one of the re- things I reviewed was a Kevin Smith property. Kevin Smith did not like my review. He wrote to me about it. And we started this like weeks long back and forth about the review and why I was wrong. And I, I sort of defended my opinion because it was just my opinion. And so I didn't see how he could tell me it was wrong. And it was funny. It was like this. I would go home and tell my girlfriend, like, oh, I'm fighting with Kevin Smith again. And she'd go, why? <laughs> what? Um, and along the way, like it started getting kind of friendly and jokey and stuff. And then eventually, like we got to meet up in, in LA when we, I was living there and he just moved to town and just sort of throughout the course of talking about things, he um, offered me a job running a website for him. Uh, we got, you know, we got working together a bit. I was running this website that was kind of like a pop culture portal, you know, comic news and movie news and stuff like that. And through that site, I got to know a lot of comic writers. One of them was Steve Niles, and Steve Niles at a certain point said, hey man, IDW's got an opening for an editor-in-chief. Is that ever anything you would consider? And IDW was located in San Diego, and I I had never even thought about that. You know, I'd wanted to break into comics like everybody else as a writer. Um, figured they were all located, you know, all the publishers were located in New York, and so there would never be a, an easy chance to get in on, like, the publishing side of things. And then this came up, and I said, well, yeah, that's that's an interesting thing to talk about. So I came down to San Diego, met with IDW, and yeah, in 2004, they made me an offer the exact same week that Kevin made me an offer to run his comic shop that he was opening in Westwood in uh, 
in LA. And so it was sort of like the coin toss. So do I want to be a comic retailer or do I want to be, you know, a comic publisher? And, you know, I'd always wanted to write and I love the idea of editing and putting comics together and building teams and all of that. Cause that's a lot of what I was doing on the website for him already. And so I opted to take a shot at the job and move down here. And, you know, here we are 13 years later now. Oh, that's awesome. Uh, do you still talk to Kevin Smith? Every once in a great while, but it, you know, in a lot of these cases, like when you're working for somebody, you're in their orbit, and when you're not, you know, they're they're very busy with everything else they're doing on, in their empire, and so they sort of move on. And I mean, I my life has been completely hectic since taking on this job, um, and so you know, every once in a great while, we might run into each other or come into contact, but not, you know, certainly not regularly because I think we're both pretty well overrun with uh, with the day to day as it is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So uh, what is your favorite and least favorite thing about working at IDW? I mean, favorite thing has to be just the collaboration with talented creators. Like I, you know, either, either books I don't work on directly, you know, that I don't write directly and just edit um, or books that I've written. Like either way, it's kind of the same answer where you get these amazing pages that come in, these amazing scripts and just getting to sort of create things from scratch with people that, are immensely talented um, is probably the most gratifying part. Like I've, I've met and become friends with some of the, you know, most creatively interesting and, and sort of inspiring people that I've ever met in my life. And I think that there's no way that could ever be topped by any other part of the job. I mean, there's a lot of parts I enjoy, but that, that certainly has to be at the top of it. I guess the flip side of all of that is just the sort of the nonstop deadlines and stresses and, you know, you never really get to let up. Like there will be times where we do something that sort of publicly gets a lot of attention and people go, man, you guys must just be sitting back and partying today. I'm like, no, no, there's, there's none of that. Like you don't, you don't celebrate things. You go on to the next thing and you keep your books coming out on time. And, you know, we've, we've gotten from a point of when I started about seven employees and about seven or eight titles a month to like 70 employees and about, I don't know, 50 to 60 titles a month. And so, the work and the responsibilities have sort of increased exponentially. Um, and so, yeah, I think with that, like the stresses have increased exponentially too. So that's probably, that's the downside is just that there's never really a let up. Like you don't, there, you don't take holiday time off and you sort of work day and night. But again, it's a thing that I really enjoy. So even, even what I would consider like sort of the downside of it is still a part of it that I love, if that makes any sense. Okay. We're we're kind of outsiders in the industry, but we do see how like things are solicited three months in advance and talking to a lot of the, the artists and, and writers, we see how far out things get scheduled. So it must be a constant uh, kind of a constant grind for everybody. Yeah. And it's just it's a tough pace for the creators, too, especially the artists, you know, to ask people to draw 20 pages of something like specifically on a Transformers title where there's so much detail and so many characters and so much sort of precision that's required, like it's a, it's a tough schedule. And so you, you are at times like I rarely edit anything anymore, but um, there's times when, you know, you really have to kind of stay on people about deadlines and stuff just because ultimately you want the books to keep coming out on time. So it's fair to the fans and to retailers, but I also know that it, it asks a lot of people. And so that's, you know, there is just a lot of stresses that go with that. And, you know, people have things that come up in their lives that, sort of get in the way of deadlines and other things. And so you, you know, you roll with those things and adapt to them as they come. Yeah. 
So let's let's get into uh, Transformers a little bit. So uh, just I uh, just want to let you know for for me, I've been collecting uh, at least the IDW Transformers comics since 2005. So I, I picked up issue zero. I was reading the Dreamwave book, so when IDW got the license, I was I was very interested to see where that was going. So I remember, you know, Chris Charger and everything. So uh, all the everything going through ID through uh, IDW Transformers history. So I wanted to to ask you a little bit about that beginning. So I mean, just from your personal experience, were you a big Transformers fan as a kid, and had you read any of the older comics? It's funny I read some because at the time when the first series started, like I was. I was a massive Marvel. Well, I was a massive comic geek at that point. Like I was buying everything Marvel and DC, and you know the other like first comics and other stuff that was out in like the mid eighties. Um, so yeah, I'd certainly picked it up. I mean, that first Sinkevich cover was was you know such a, a grabber. Um, but I was also probably buying too many things to really pay too close of attention to uh, some of the details, and so I, I certainly did drift off after a ways because I you know, at certain points you, you sort of make choices and can't buy everything all the time. And so I didn't right. stick with it all the way through, but yeah, I was there at the start. Like I, I've always been a big fan of giant robot comics. Like I, even as a younger kid, like a little kid, I was buying Shogun warriors and things like that. And so certainly transformers has always been of appeal just for that reason. Yeah. So I, I was curious. So you mentioned that you started with IDW in 2004. So were you involved with the original discussions with Hasbro to to get the Transformers license? Yeah, I was I was really front and center. I was I was really um there was another person who who was one of the four founders of IDW at the time, Chris Aprisco. He and I went out and had the initial meeting with Hasbro and then I sort of took it over from there and ran with it and so I would say that yeah, I was I was pretty much the the primary point of contact and the person that was really talking to Hasbro repeatedly and going out there and pitching them and selling them on the idea of IDW. Cause when we went out there, you know, we, in 2005, like we were still primarily a horror publisher and we had done a few licensed comics like CSI and angel. But I, I know there was a sense when we got out into the Hasbro room and, and they're meeting with us and we're pitching them on why we should take over the transformers. There was a, a sense of why are we talking to you guys? Like, you guys are a tiny little publisher. Like we've got, you know, the top three or four publishers are pitching us on this thing. And so why, why are you a part of this conversation? And so it was, it was a really fun thing to, to sort of sell them on why we were right over people who are much bigger and more established than us. Um, and so, yeah, I, I enjoyed that. And like, that's been a lot of what I've done the last decade or so is, you know, go get things like Star Wars and Sonic, you know, most recently. And, a lot of these licenses along the way and and it's easier you know a decade in it's easy when you can go well look we published star trek and godzilla and my little pony and transformers and all these things but at the time it was it was a much uh much more uphill battle to to sort of convince them why we should take over transformers versus anyone else and ultimately we seem to sway them because you know here we are 12 years later as you say we've uh we've been going along steadily since then did you feel like there was any apprehension from them because of what happened with Dreamwave and Dreamwave being another smaller publisher? Yeah, I mean, I certainly think that was part of it. Like, that was part of the selling point to them is, okay, look, we are, we're no slight to any other publisher, you know, at the time, but we're, we are a business first. We're not a place that is going to sort of make our, you know, decisions that are, are driven more by people that don't have a, a background on the business side of things like then that's one reason I've I've always liked to stuck around with IDW for so long is 
I, I want a place that has structure and pays people properly and treats everything, you know, the way the way creators deserve to be treated and do, the way licensors deserve to be treated. And so that was that was a big part of it. Is is yeah, like we are we are going to handle things in a much different kind of way, not only creatively, but also just on the the back end side of things, which, you know, to a business like Hasbro is also appealing to them. So that and just the sense that like when we're competing with the bigger publishers and they've got, you know, their full stable of things that they own, those are always going to be the things that take priority to them. Um, And for us, like we didn't own those kind of big brands. So, you know, Transformers for us would be the biggest thing we would be publishing. And so it was going to get our bulk of our attention and effort and support and everything like that. And I think they really liked that. They liked that they wouldn't just be one of a hundred titles that somebody was publishing, but they were going to be front and center and get, you know, our, our full push on them. And that's, yeah, like I say, that I think was part of the big catalyst for it to come into us. Uh, I wanted to just uh, jump a little bit off topic, but I, you mentioned the like Star Wars and I, I've noticed you've you've published some Star Wars and Disney stuff. So I'm curious, you know, you guys must have a really good pitch because, you know, currently Disney has a, a big comic book publisher that they could use. So I'm curious how you were able to convince them to to kind of publish stuff with you. It's crazy like it's crazy that we're publishing a star wars comic like i you know i i consumed star wars like crazy as a kid the toys and the movies and the comics like everybody and so to be able to actually publish a star wars comic is such a like it's such a thrill to be able to do these things that i loved as a kid and so that one i mean honestly it came about because marvel was was happy to focus on the stuff that they do well you know they they want to hit their core audience and do all the star wars books that they're doing and so obviously they get first write a refusal on this stuff and they you know they they and disney both agreed that letting us sort of expand our relationship with disney because we'd already been doing a lot of the the core disney characters as comics um and so they thought you know letting us hit that younger reader was made good sense because then they can keep focused on what they're doing you know we've got good established track record of reaching younger readers with a lot of things we've been doing for the last few years and so just it made good sense but I have to imagine somebody over there was like, wait, what? But, you know, it's, it's been good and, and friendly and everybody seems happy and the comics have gotten off to a good start. And so, yeah, I'm, I continue to be thrilled that we're doing these things. Is that book still, like, I'm assuming that the Lucasfilm story group still has their hand in all of that, even though it's uh, for younger uh, readers? They do, yeah, because they want to make sure that nothing we do contradicts anything Marvel's done, anything the books are doing. Like, they've, they've taken a very... Uh, solid hand in making sure that the the continuity and the canon you know stories are all are all sort of aligned so even though we're not really we're not really looking to sort of thread the plot line needles the way marvel is you know marvel's doing stuff that mm-hmm. could very seamlessly be woven into things you know in between scenes or in between movies um and we're we're just more trying to tell fun sort of action-packed all-ages stories they do still want us to do things that are considered canon and not contradict anything. And so, yeah, they've, they've been a huge help in, in making sure that all of that is, uh, is coordinated properly. I don't know if you've seen Pablo Hildago's, um, sketches on Twitter, but you should get him to do some transformer or something. I have, I followed him on Twitter. Yeah. He's, he's a huge transformers guy. It's really fun to see. Awesome. (laughs) So, uh, one, going back to Transformers, <laughs> uh, for the uh, the Transformers comics, uh, just recently, I mean, in the last few years, have been 
critically acclaimed and won awards for their treatment of Transformers as a legitimate sci-fi epic. And that's something that, that really, as a fan of Transformers, is something that I've really been excited about. But one thing that, that always frustrates me uh, is that it the comics tend to be overlooked, both by large segments of the fans and the public, and even the live-action movie makers. It seems like they're, you know, they're not interested in, in taking any cues from the comics. So I wanted to ask... Do you think there's any chance of getting, like, pushing the IDW Transformers stories, characters, and themes into other Transformers media? Well, it's funny, because even when the movies do take cues from the comics, like with, you know, Elevating Drift, which was just a character that, you know, Shane McCarthy, Guido Gidi, and I created years ago for the All Hail Megatron story, like, we're like, hey, Drift's going to be in the new movie, that's awesome, and then we see Drift, we're like, wait a second. That's not really drift. So yeah, I mean, I and I understand why they change things and and don't necessarily do just what we do in the comics. But yeah, we'd certainly love to see the stuff we're doing more directly elevated to to different mediums. Um, and I I kind of think sort of like DC is doing, you know, where where DC's movies are are their own thing and not necessarily tied too closely to the comics. But then they do those direct to uh, streaming or download or Blu-ray or whatever. You know, they these animated films where they're based on things like that you know teen titan story or the batman um you know the frank miller stuff or whatever it is i think that that sort of medium seems to allow more direct ties into the comic stories and so i think that's where i'd love to see that sort of thing happen and so you know there there's been conversation about that so it would it would be great so i i hope that could someday be the case that you know some of the things that we've done would would find their way into uh, into people's hands in that sort of format. Yeah, I know, Jeremy, that's something you've been asking for for a long time. So, yeah, that's something that we'd definitely be interested in. Uh, I'm just waiting for a Wreckers animated movie. like uh, how good, I know. How good <laughs> would that be? So, yeah, we're, like I say, we're, we're hopeful that that kind of stuff can happen. And there have been discussions and things. So, you know, it, it's sort of out of our hands at a certain level. It's all uh, up to Hasbro in the studio and, and various entities like that but it's it's a thing that i know various factions on both sides would really like to make happen and and speaking of of what's been going on in the transformers comics i mean one thing that's that's been a big change and and something that surprisingly stuck for a long time i mean it's been over five years you guys ended the autobot decepticon war and i think the transformers comic storytelling has has gotten you know better than it's ever been just with this this huge status quo change and uh, do you think this this is a factor that has enabled more creativity and exploration of new story ideas in the Transformers universe? I mean, I think I think maybe, but I also think part of it is just that the the people that have been writing the books, you know, John Barber and James Roberts and Marguerite Scott, really have a they're just really good at what they do, and so like you say, you've been following the stuff from the start, and I'm sure there have been things along the way that have felt like stumbles, you know, cause that's, that's sort of bound to happen where you're trying all these different things. And I feel like the comics that those guys have been doing have, have sort of been the best overall crop of things that we've done, you know, consistently. And the fans seem to feel the same way. Like James's fans don't necessarily care as much about what John or Marguerite are doing, but they love James's stuff with, with crazy passion. Um, and, and, you know, John's fans the same way and Marguerite's fans, you know, are really vocal too about what they're doing. And so I, I don't know if it's necessarily just the storyline freedom that they've had or just their ability to tell stories that, that have consistently engaged people in ways that, you know, some of the things in the past that we've done haven't necessarily 
you know, that same reach or impact. So whatever it is, you know, especially after doing this stuff a decade, you hope you don't, what you're doing doesn't feel tired to people or anything. And so it's been great that, uh, that this stuff has sort of reached out the way it has and, and, and really held the audience the way it has. And, and speaking of, you know, all the kind of uh, the new ideas that have been brought into the comics, one thing in particular that uh, we've noticed is that the Transformers comics have really gone into new territory, exploring things like, relationships and gender identity issues it reflects a, a wider range of the human experience but it's something that you know you'd think with you know giant transforming robots this is something where you'd have much more freedom to explore lots of different things but it's something that really hasn't happened before and it's it's kind of a new thing i'm curious was there any kind of pushback from hasbro in in some of the story the story elements and character developments that, that you've done in the comics because it, it is quite interesting and a new territory and something that isn't really, I guess people don't expect it from, uh, you know, just transforming toy robots. Yeah. And that's been the great thing. Like Hasbro along the way has been just amazingly supportive and encouraging about just about everything we've done. Like, you know, in the eighties, some of the comics you read, like the, the media tie in stuff, um, they felt like they were just there to, to sell toys or, you know, when a new toy is being introduced, then the company had, you know, the comic publisher had to, force a storyline with that character so it wasn't it wasn't always as pure um and not that they weren't still good stories but you could tell that there were some sometimes other forces behind them where in this case hasbro has said look just tell good stories and make us look good like we we don't you know we don't require you to do stuff that is aimed directly at the the new toys we're doing but we just want you to tell things that enhance the brand overall and so they've let us just do any number of crazy things and i think i think we we never heard more applause than we did from the Hasbro folk in you know the James Roberts issue where Transformer says I love you um, and that that stuff's been important to us too because at a certain point there are the fans that you know there are Transformers fans who will buy the comics but there's not always a reach beyond that like and you want comics that that will appeal to sort of a broader a broader audience too and so I don't want the comics to ever to feel like cold, emotionless, you know, alien giant robots and stuff that people can't relate to. And so I think John, I mean, certainly Simon stuff did too, but John and James have really done a good job about humanizing the characters. And I mean, Nick Roach through his really expressive art and also through the stories he told, like in the records books, um, was really good also about giving the characters more sort of life and personality and expressions that, that people could relate to, even if, you know, the people reading the books have nothing to do with being giant alien robots themselves so i think i think all of that has been great that they've been able to tell more sort of human stories amidst these you know these these big transformers comics that that's been really fun for us mm -hmm. yeah and so let's talk a little bit about uh, i know you're you've gotten directly involved with rom the space knight i've picked up a, a few of those issues and I was curious what drew you to Rom because it seems like you have a you have a lot of history with the character or, or you you were familiar with the character before getting it at IDW. Yeah, I've 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 been sort of flying the Rom flag forever. Like I I just I don't know when I was a little kid like I loved that comic because it in an era where there was a lot of licensed stuff that didn't necessarily come off all that great. You know, a lot of cases Marvel and DC would keep their top talent on books that they own like Spider-Man or Batman or what have you. And so there was sometimes lesser talent put on the license stuff. But on something like ROM, not only was, was the creative team behind it really strong, but the stories they told sort of mattered in that characters died and it never came back. 
they were, I don't know, creepy as hell. Like the fact that your neighbor or you never knew who around you might be an evil alien. Like they're just, they just felt, I don't know, creepy and paranoid and like cool science fiction stories that were far better than a cruddy toy that, you know, that led to the comics in the first place. And so it was just a thing I always loved. And so once we started working with Hasbro and I had found out that, you know, Hasbro bought um, Parker Brothers and owned ROM, I, I, I was asking the question consistently for 10 years, you know, trying to help them sort of legally untangle who owned what and what could be done. And, and so I started to reach a point where I thought, wow, this is probably never going to happen. Like 10 years of chasing this, maybe I should move on. But I, I never like to abandon things when it's a thing I really care about. And so it was, it was pretty nice. So a couple of years ago when Hasbro finally said, hey, you guys can do ROM comics. And so, you know, I know a lot of people have never read the old series because they there have never been reprints like they've never been legally allowed to reprint that stuff and so far neither have we although i'm still working on that part too but i, I know that it, it's a smaller audience who's even familiar with what rom is but it's it's been growing great that to bring it back and you know incorporate him into the larger hasbro universe so how did you go about building the rom backstory for idw because i guess and maybe you can clarify like my understanding is that because of the the ownership issues kind of marvel owns all the the actual story content of the comic book and hasbro just owns like the i guess the toy the original toy conception and and i guess the you know some of the villains but uh, so i'm curious like where where is the how do you how how did you make that break i guess essentially that's that's right like Hasbro has rights to the character of, you know, the toy character. And then on the back of the toy box, um, the original toy back in the day before the comics ever started, it mentions that Rom is part of the Soul Star Order and that they were fighting the evil dire wraiths. And so that essentially is the only backstory that exists that we're allowed to use. You know, we couldn't use any of the Space Knights that Rom, I'm sorry, that Marvel created or any of the, the supporting characters which is fine, you know, so then we get to create our own other space knights and create our own version of the dire race and create our own world around him. And then Christos Gage and I, you know, the guy who I've been co-writing the book with, originally intended for, we wanted the first issue of ROM, you were going to see a reveal at the very end that was just, as it played out in the comic, it was just a dire race getting onto a military helicopter and then uh, you see Scarlet or somebody saying, yo, Joe. And so it was going to be this this secretive thing that uh, that Rom is actually in part of a larger Hasbro universe that GI Joe exists in this world, and so we thought we'll build to this slowly over time and sort of secretly, and then you know two months later a revolution happened, and so a- as kind of happens in uh, in the world today is there's not as much space for secrecy and and patience in storytelling. You sort of jump to the big event stuff sooner, and so you know then it became this big universe almost right away but it was always our intent to to put rom into a larger hasbro universe because we thought well if we don't have the marvel universe around us then let's let's make sure that the universe around rom is as big and cool as possible you can't use the marvel backstory but uh i was curious if you if you included any just like nods or tips of the hat to bill mantlow's work in your stories no I've, i've tried not to do that um i mean i did there was a mantlow park in the first uh first couple issues but I didn't. I didn't want to make it either in jokes or stuff that only I got, you know, or only me and Christos got, mm-hmm. and very few people that you know <laughs> knew the series in that kind of detail that we did would would understand. And so I thought it kind of cheapens things to do that. 
and and that seems like a slippery slope. Like once you start to going down that road, then suddenly everything is a nod or an in joke. Um, so we deliberately stayed away from it. While you know, I dedicated the issue to and the series really to Bill Mantlo and Sal Buscema, who were the guys who did the original comic at Marvel. Um, and we've run an ad for Bill Mantlo. Like Bill Mantlo has has had uh, serious health issues. You know, he he was struck yeah. by a drunk driver and been. Yeah, so he's had a brain damage and all these other long-term care issues for decades now. And so we've run ads in all the books to try to encourage people to, you know, support him. And I like because I want I want front and center people very clear that like this comic, none of this would exist without Bill and Sal and what they did. And so along the way, like it's been great. Like I've gotten to know Bill's brother and I've I'm really close with Sal and and so to be able to get like the ROM comics and a ROM toy even that Hasbro made last year. Well, or this year, I'm sorry. Um, into like Bill Mantlo's hands and stuff. His it's a thrill. Like because again, I wouldn't be doing the stuff if not for those guys. And so, anything I can do to sort of talk up the work that they did and and you know support them in whatever ways I can is has been important to me. And so that's been the way that we've tried to sort of pay tribute to those guys rather than doing too many nods in the books. Although that said, I you know when uh, when we did the origin of Rom in the Rom Annual you see the humanoid version of Rom on his planet and he's got long seventies sideburns, which is uh, a, a very subtle nod to Sal Buscema because Sal back in the day when he was drawing Rom had those, had those same kind of, you know, bushy seventies sideburns. And so, so those kind of things, there's a few of those kind of things, but I've tried not to go overboard with them. Cool. And what do you think of the, the, the current Rom versus Transformers miniseries? That's something that we've, been really uh, excited about. We, we, of course, we've read the first two issues, so we're really looking forward to to seeing that go forward. I'm. I have many thoughts on it. Part of it is like just creatively. First, I love what Alex Milne is doing. Like Alex Milne is, you know, a guy that has been doing Transformers for so long and puts so much detail and great work into every page that he does. It almost gets easy to take for granted everything he does, and so. There's something about what he's doing here. I don't know if it's the addition of Rom or, you know, the creation of a new character like Star Drive. That is sort of, I, I don't know. I feel like Alex is re-energized and Alex will get a script that has five panel pages on it. And suddenly he's turned it into a 13 panel page and like, <laughs> like he's torturing himself. But it is, it is totally to the reader's benefit. Like the pages are stunning. And, you know, Josh Perez is, is such a good finisher for Alex on the coloring side of things. So I think, first of all, what they're doing is amazing. The other part of it is I'm kind of bitter because John Barber and Chris Gage are doing a great job with the story. And it, I like somebody else writing ROM still just kind of, uh, freaks a part of me out. And so, uh, I, I've had a it's hard time. Baby. Like, yeah. I've had a hard time handing them off and like seeing other people do a good job with them. And like, I like to read through the book and go, well, ROM would never say that. Then I go, well, yeah, he probably would. I'm just, saying it because i'm not actually writing it so it's it is fun for me to read it just as a fan and i've enjoyed what they're doing and like john has done a really smart thing you know weaving the transformers history in with rom and so i enjoy it a lot but yeah there there's a small part of me that just still has a hard time not handling something directly that involves rom but of course you know rom should be bigger than anybody that works on it which which makes it more exciting well i guess the the rom the rom and the micronauts uh, series that's coming out of First Strike that's that's going to be written by Christos Cage too, right? So, are you coming back to? I'm not. I'm actually that one was sort of 
by choice stepping aside. I mean, all, all these things have been sort of by choice stepping aside, not only to do what's best for the book, like with the Transformers series, because, you know, Barber is able to do that sort of stuff with Transformers better than just about anybody. And on the Raw Micronauts, like it just, sometimes my my daily schedule makes it really hard to uh, to, to keep up with monthly deadlines at, at night and stuff like that. So I thought, well, it's not fair to the book to to sort of let my schedule dictate. Like, I don't want the books to fall behind or anything like that. So I thought, well, since we're bringing this first series to a close here, this would be a good time to step aside for a while. You know, Christos is picking up all the stuff that we were doing and building toward this big Wraith God storyline and now adding the Micronauts into it. Um, and so, you know, I've, I'm sort of working on another another thing that'll be slated a bit more down the line. And, like, part of it, too, is just Christos doesn't need a co-writer. Like, he's so good, you know. He's such a such a good writer as it is. And so I'm excited just to see what he does, sort of driving things forward um, on his own. So, yeah, I mean, again, there's there's always a part of me that it feels a little bit weird that I'm not uh, involved with it. But I, I'm happy for what it means for the book. And I, I'm happy for what it means for this this next thing that I'm working on, too. And so I, I think it's uh, I think it's good for everybody the way it's rolling out. Getting into Rom and the Transformers and now this larger IDW or yeah, the IDW Hasbro universe. Uh, I'm curious, did the idea the idea for this shared universe come from within IDW or was it then a pitch to you from Hasbro? It really came out of the Rom thing. Like I I pitched Hasbro and hey guys, we're gonna we're gonna have GI Joe just you know be subtly in the background of this uh, of this series a bit, and then eventually we'll build to this thing, and maybe eventually we bring the Transformers in. And then everybody goes, hey, yeah, good. Do that now. Um, and it was one of those things where, like, we never we never intended it. Like, I never wanted it to be a thing where if you love Transformers, you pick up the book and go, oh, man, I don't care about Rom and the Micronauts. I just want to read James Roberts' Transformers. Like, we didn't want to mess with what any of the books are, but we just wanted to have everybody in the universe in a way that, like, if you have a story and you, th- a story and you think Snake Eyes enhances that and you want to do a thing with him or if Rom and the Micronauts pairing up finally makes good sense for a story then let's do it I just I don't want it to be a thing where anybody ever feels like first of all it's everything's gotten too crowded and second where it changes what they like about any of the given books I just want it to be a thing like the Marvel Universe you know go read an Avengers book every month but if in one of those Avengers issues I don't know I, I can't even think of all the Marvel characters right now um Hulk or Spider-Man or somebody stops by for a storyline, then great. But if not, you know, then it's still their own thing. And so I wanted that. I wanted a universe where all these characters can interact and they're available to writers if they want them. And then they are under no dictate to use all of them. So, you know, we did the first big story in Revolution that gathered everybody together. And then, again, I wanted it to, out coming out of that, I wanted it to be a thing where they're only available to, to be used if you want them. And if not, you know, keep telling the stories that you're telling. So, uh, the, you know, from, from our perspective, we did notice that I guess Hasbro announced their plans for a shared movie universe a little bit before the, the revolution announcement from IDW. So I was curious if there's any discussion of aligning those two ideas or if they, you know, if Hasbro is interested in, in kind of, you know, doing any kind of cross pollination there. It's funny because they, we, so we had the whole revolution thing going and because it took probably about a year to, uh, in discussions and planning and all of that. And then a few months before it was actually going to formally be announced, then with the movie news came out and we're like, wow, that makes it now sound like we're following their lead. Whereas really like we were sort of 
doing this entirely on our own. I mean, it makes sense that Hasbro would do oh, that okay. since, you know, since they're developing all their own films for GI Joe and Transformers and everything like that. But uh, for us, I think it's, it's less complicated on the comic side because there's not different studios involved and there, you know, movies, I don't know. I feel like movies always are more complicated. Anything where there's more money involved sort of complicates everything. And so I think we are more freely able to, uh, do all kinds of things like introducing mask and now soon introducing visionaries into this universe. Whereas the movie universe will, will probably be a slower build. Um, and you know, once, once it really gets going, then yeah, I would love to figure out a way to tie in if it makes sense. Like I, what I don't want is for the comics to suddenly change to where everything just reflects the movie universe without making any kind of story sense. Like there's, there's been other examples of that in the past where, or in the, even in the present, where I see other publishers that have TVs or, or, or TV shows or movies that suddenly force changes into the comics that don't really make story sense. And, you know, you like to, I like to keep the storytelling as pure as possible, not have it be driven by other factors. So I don't even know if that answers the question. But yes, if, if things happen down the line on the movie side, yeah, I mean, we would certainly see if there's a smart way to tie in. James Roberts just kind of introduced the idea of other universes. So it, it could be a fun side story kind of hopping into the movie universe for a bit and then hopping back. Yeah. I mean, there's, you know, that's, that is a time, time honored thing in comics is doing the uh, multiple universe thing. And I, you know, sometimes it allows you to, to cheat and, and do these things that, you know, don't always work for readers, but I, I yeah, it, there's, there's ways to do it, I think, and have fun with it, not have it, uh, you know, change everything that people like. But I think anything along those lines would be a pretty long ways off. Mm -hmm. So given that we now have this, this wider universe of different, different properties and, and potential different storytelling paths, what, what would be your favorite combination of properties in the Hasbro universe? What, what would you like to see? I mean, I think we've traditionally Transformers versus GI Joe has been something that's been a thing since the '80s. Uh, but let's, you know, take talking about the other properties. What, what do you think is is the most interesting combination? Oh man, um, I mean, I I kind of think it's driven by the creative team. You know, I I like I part of me loves the idea of Rom and Micronauts partnering up because those were both comics, both written by the same guy and both published by Marvel back in the day. And because they were owned by different companies, they could never interact with one another. And so there's a part of me that feels like I'm finally making childhood me really happy by having a comic that puts Rama and the Micronauts together because that's the thing I always wanted to see as a kid. But otherwise, like, I like the Rom Transformers pairing, I think has worked out really well. Like I say, I like the idea of, of G.I. Joe being involved at some point with Rom because if their diet rates have really infiltrated the military or even the government at high levels, then it makes sense that they'd be involved. So I, in most cases, I think it is story driven. Like I think mask makes sense with, with the technology, with the transformers, um, the, what they're doing, what they have planned with visionaries sort of coming out of the transformers event. It makes good sense. So I, I think in all of those cases, the different combinations work based on, you know, the story, if the story makes good sense. Um, there's also a part of me that would love to see Transformers My Little Pony because there's been all these cool prints, you know, that, that have been done for conventions. And I'm like, that's fun. That would be a fun thing for, you know, some readers. 
Now, I, I do think, uh, at least for uh, you know, from our point of view as as readers and and regular collectors of the the Transformers and, and other comics. We've been experiencing a bit of crossover fatigue. Uh, I guess, at, you know, we've had three Transformers crossover events, and then we have uh, Revolution First Strike, and then the, there's another one planned for 2018. And so I, I'm curious from IDW's perspective, do these events really generate interest and focus on the books and, and, and that continue to be valuable? And is there any sense of diminishing returns with yearly crossovers? Um, I mean, I, it, they're probably case by case. Like, I'm sure everybody has seen you know some events really put more attention on the stuff and some events don't for us it was always a plan of like okay well here's this universe that that we're sort of putting everybody together in which is going to lead to this which all of these things are finally like the beacon that that signals unicron um so for us it wasn't a, really a case of like let's do an event and let's do another event and let's burn people out with with so much thrown at them and so much rejiggering but it's more of like Let's do this thing where the end, the end result, the uh, end path of this is the coming of Unicron, which is really a thing that, you know, right when we started in 2005, there were calls for Unicron because everybody, like, that's kind of the thing. It's like, that's the big story that everybody has wanted to see. And in my mind, I was like, you can't rush into that. You can't, you, you certainly can't tell a lot of Unicron stories. Like, then it really feels cheap. So I wanted it to be a thing where we we built to it, and while it wasn't necessarily a concerted effort over twelve years to to make sure that everything being told built toward this thing, it was in the back of our minds. Like once we get to a place where it really makes sense, here comes Unicron, and so that's that's what all of this has been for. I do certainly hear that you know the the event fatigue thing because that has gone on a lot in comics. Um, and so, like I say, I like to do these things that give people big stories, but hopefully don't disrupt the things that they like, you know, in the regular books. And so we never want to make it where, like, if you don't read this issue and this issue and this issue and also buy every issue of the event, then you're going to you're going to be lost. Like, I want them to be standalone for people that want that stuff and for people that just want what James Roberts does. Like, here's still James Roberts's book without it being, you know, adversely impacted by these things, if that makes any sense. Yeah, it, it is nice that like since his book doesn't take place on Earth, it doesn't really make sense for him to have to bring his characters back specifically for the event and then you know send them back where they were. Yeah, disrupting everything to force storylines onto people is like editorially driven stuff at the expense of the stories that the re- the writers are telling is never a good thing and it, it never really feels peer to uh, to the reader and so that's that's something we're always wary of. Yeah, and I will say, I think uh, at least back in 2005, we did have a lot of Unicron, at least in the other uh, Transformers properties. Like, I, I remember specifically, like, the Transformers cartoon was dealing with Unicron a lot. Uh, you know, our, the Armada, I guess, uh, Energon and Cybertron cartoons. So I, you let Unicron lie dormant for a long time. So I, I think at this point, you've earned uh, you've earned Unicron back, I think. Yeah, I hope so. And hopefully the story lives up to it. The kind of thing where people have waited so long that, like, it sure as hell better uh, live up to what, pe- what people want to see in that kind of a story. So that's that is the goal here anyway. Yeah. So one thing, I, this is something that, uh, I mean, it's it's kind of a, a tiny point, but it's uh, it's something that I've been curious about since uh, the SDCC announcement. Like a lot of the, I guess it was Newsarama and CBR reported Unicron's getting his own comic series after the, the announcement at SDCC. And when I looked at it, it just said Unicron is coming. So, 
you know, I was a little bit confused as to as, if you're if you're actually giving him a, a whole miniseries or if he's just kind of the 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 villain in the next event. There, there are always a lot of pieces written about things where where they present as facts something they couldn't possibly know, which I always find kind of amusing. And sometimes I start to uh, I, I write like half of a tweet or something like correcting them, and I go, ah, why, <laughs> why? Like I can't, you know, it, it's sort of tilting at windmills. But yeah, I mean, it, people sometimes their speculation they present as fact, and so we yeah we haven't announced anything beyond. Unicron is coming, so I think that that will be that will be the only word for a little while longer, anyway. Okay, so you're not ruling it out, but you haven't announced it. Yeah, I mean, I I, I think a big thing like Unicron probably necessitates a big thing that doesn't also, you know, because I think if it's a thing that only runs through the books, then it does ask James to disrupt everything. And it asks all the writers to do that. And so, you know, it, it may well make more sense to do as a separate thing. But again, that's that's something that is still like we're still working out some of the, the fine tuning details and stuff like that. And so any any piece that presents as as fact, anything at all is uh, is purely speculative. OK, so uh, getting into I guess this is a little bit of the the kind of boring business side that as, as, uh, as fans of the comics, we're, we're still interested in, in a little bit of the, the behind the scenes, at least one thing we've noticed with, uh, I guess, aside from the Transformers comics, the, the IDW Hasbro universe comics have been a bit behind schedule. And we were just, you know, wondering if, if these are lo- some logistical issues that are, that are causing a problem for IDW or, or, you know, what the, I guess what the if there's anything that you can share about what the what the backstory is there. Um, it's funny. I should probably steer this question over to uh, the editors and, and David Hedgecock, who's sort of taken over the management of the publishing schedule. Because um, I don't I don't handle that end of things now, so I I don't know that I can speak directly to it. I mean, I know sometimes doing these events and when they're biweekly events and stuff like that, that can sometimes derail things, and other times just. The, you know, like I say, the the sheer fact of having to draw twenty pages of such dense, detailed scripts as as you know, like the Rom Transformers book or James's book, um, can be can be trying for artists. And so, but no, I don't I don't know of anything that uh, that is sort of a a bigger issue other than you know there is kind of an ebb and flow of of things coming in on time, and then sometimes when one thing happens, you know, uh, I don't know. It, it can be kind of a boring thing to discuss too, because there have been other things in the past that have delayed some books like printer delays or books that get held up in customs, you know, just stuff like that. That is kind of unavoidably. I think there was a strike one oh my year, God. like a dock worker. That was a strike. nightmare. Yeah. Cause our stuff, we were just sitting in containers on the ports in long beach here in uh, South of LA. And we like, we know our books are there and they're just sort of piling up waiting for the strike to be done. And yeah, so, so there are things like that, that make us on our end grind our teeth, but we always try to either minimize that awareness to fans or just, you know, I, I think the more people are aware of the business stuff, the more it sort of impacts like the pure enjoyment of the stories. And so there's, there's not really an interesting answer here. It's just, you know, there's sometimes various factors that delay things, but I know everybody is, is working hard on, uh, fixing schedules and getting everything shown up through printers and all of that. So, so that's, that's really about all I, I can say on that end of it. 
So uh, another thing that uh, that we always see is coming up a lot is is what do you think? How do you see the future of comics shaking out with, in particular, physical versus digital sales? It, you know, it seems like on the physical end, it's it's getting a lot, uh, you know, a little bit tougher and tougher to to continue to to draw in new readers in that way. And and uh, and is digital uh, growing or is it in competition or or how do you do you think everything will be digital eventually? No, I mean, I honestly, at the start of digital comics, like there was a lot of people worried that that meant print was going away or that it was going to destroy things in the same way, like the music industry got so upended, but. There are people that love to read stuff on the tablets, and there are people that love to own the physical copies and love to go to conventions and put them down in front of writers and artists and have them signed. And so digital has been sort of consistently, I don't know, 10, 15% of of the overall market. Some books are higher than that. Some books are a little lower, but that's that's kind of the industry average. And so that hasn't really changed. Um, so yeah, I, I do think there are people that that want them in both formats. The way I see digital working in a lot of ways is people that have faded away from comics have come back and tried them that way. And then they'll buy the trade paperbacks in print or their things that they want on their bookshelves. And so it's, it's been a nice feeder for the print. Um, I don't know. And as far as overall numbers go again, like I think that's another one of those things that pundits and people like to obsess over in the way I see it. Like comics have always been, a thing that ebbs and flows and so it, it in the sine curve of the comic industry you know sometimes it's more up because there's big books bringing new people into stores sometimes it's down because there's things that are maybe not driving people to stores as often and so I'll, i think all any of us as publishers can do is keep trying to do fun interesting intention getting things that you know prove prove that it's it's worth people's money to keep on uh keep on reading so I mean, related to that. So I guess maybe this is you probably already answered this question, but do you, do you think that local comic shops are are in trouble, or you think they're they're still gonna? I mean, just with the industry dipping a little bit, it seems like uh, you know local comic shops are kind of bearing the brunt of uh, you know when when people stop buying physical copies, you know how how do they stay in business? Yeah, I mean everybody bears a, uh, the brunt to some degree. You know, if if comic sales are down, then it makes it harder to to meet creator rates. And if creator rates are high, then it makes it harder for those creators to get work. And so there is kind of a, a industry wide trickle that can happen if things slow down, but certainly retailers. Yeah. I mean, it's not a huge margin business for them. And so every customer does count. Um, I think, you know, there's a lot of retailers I've talked to who have said their business is up because they're really smart and good at what they do. I, I think the people that, you know, there are some who just are content to open their doors and, hope people come in and buy their stuff. And that's not a large degree of, of retailers at all. But, the, you know, that I think people that on all sides, the publisher side, the retailer side, everything, if if they don't pay good attention and focus on their business and make smart decisions, then, you know, they can be hit when there's any kind of downturn. If, you, if you're smart about the way you do things, um, you know, then I think you can sort of weather the, the peaks and valleys in the business. And again, like all, all we, all we can strive to do is, is sort of give the best possible stuff to retailers and hope that it, it pleases their customers and keeps justifying them coming into shops. And so, you know, I, I think you could probably talk to a hundred retailers to get a hundred different stories about how they're doing. And, and some, you know, have thriving back issue businesses, even with eBay and, you know, the, the internet sort of cut into that for other people. And so it just all depends. Like some, 
do well with that. Some do well with, with toys. Some just do well with comics. Some sell a ton of Transformers comics. Some only sell Marvel and DCs. And so because it's decentralized, like sort of every store is different. And so I, I think some have, have been hit a bit. Some have not felt it as much. So I don't know if any of these these, <laughs> these answers to the last few questions have been uh, too edifying, but that's that's kind of how I've seen it anyway. No, I mean, that, that's, <laughs> I mean, getting your perspective from within the industry is, is always uh, valuable. These numbers might not uh, be really reflective of the actual, I mean, we follow, you know, sites like Comicron that just kind of give these estimates for, for monthly sales numbers. And I don't know how, how accurate those are, but we've noticed that there have been a little bit of dip, you know, a dip in the Transformers comic sales. And then, you know, we were kind of sad to see that Till All or One came to an end, which we were really enjoying as as one of the, you know, one of the three Transformers comic series, regular series. And so I, I just want to ask you, you know, what should should we, you know, it's it's a little bit hard as, as readers and fans to see when we should be worried or, or try to, you know, to increase the, you know, increase the visibility for Lost Light and Optimus Prime just to make sure that they continue because we, you know, we, we, we know it's a business and, and you have to justify the, you know, the, um, the sales. So I guess from a fan's point of view, what, what can we do? and What should we do to, to make sure we, you know, these books keep coming? I mean, I think the biggest thing for, and this, this is sort of the thing that can help retailers too, is just, we've, we always um, encourage people to, to pre-order their comics because, the retailers, I think, get hit the hardest in some ways because they're forced to buy stuff on a non-returnable basis. Um, and sometimes publishers, like sometimes, will make things returnable, but but for the most part, they're taking a stake on a book that they can't return. So every dollar they spend, if they don't sell those books, then that's that's a dollar that they're out. And so it's hard for them to to blindly guess what consumers might want every month. So I think the more people can pre-order. The books to just let the retailers know what they want, you know, then it lets it lets them know to order a thing. It certainly lets us know that there's an audience for a thing. But I know in a lot of cases there's a tendency to just for people to just hope and want their book to be there every month, and it it just it doesn't always work that way because at a certain point, if the retailers don't think there's an audience for a book, then they don't order those, and then if if you know the orders don't come in, then the books end up going away from the publisher side of things, and so a lot of it is it is a very symbiotic relationship between retailers and customers and the publishers. And so the more people can just sort of make their voice heard in that way, like letting people know that they want the books and pre-ordering those books. And then, you know, I've heard from a lot of retailers that, that people will pre-order books, but then not pick them up or not pick them up for a few months like that, that really hurts the retailers too. And so I think just that's probably the best thing people can do is be vocal about what they like um and you know let the retailers know certainly and that that helps them and then that that sort of helps everybody so i never want people feeling like they have to go to an online bookseller because they're never going to they're never going to get that same feel of walking into the comic shop and talking to people and sort of finding out what's good and and all of that but you know those retailers do need you know that feedback from people too to know what what fans like and what they should keep ordering because that you know the retailers are they are the backbone of this industry. And so without, without them, you know, everybody sort of takes a hit, you know, fans that can't find the books that they want and publishers that want to keep making those books. And so the retailers are the ones that I, I'm, I really always encourage people to do what they can to support the people in their area. 
All right. Well, I think uh, I know we're we're tight on time, so we we do have a rapid fire section of questions, but maybe we'll skip it this time. And oh, or if you want to, you know, if you want to do a lightning round, we can. I can stop expounding so much and just sort of try to hammer through things. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, so th- this this will be really quick. So um, this this these we have a set of questions that just uh, kind of uh, try to give a feel for um, you know for kind of your likes and dislikes so they're pretty much either or a or b questions so i'll get right into it okay autobot or decepticon autobot and who's your favorite autobot Uh, i mean i i gotta go with optimus i mean i I, he was the guy that i got to sorry these aren't quick answers are they um (laughs) i finally got to write i got to write dialogue for him years ago when i did the movie comic with simon and you know just like that was a thrill for me in the way that some people getting to write spider-man or superman dialogue and so I, I think that's got to be my pick. Awesome, yeah. Uh, Transformers live action movie one, two, three, four, or five. One. <laughs> uh, Megan Fox, Rosie Huntington, Wheatley, Nicola Peltz, Laura Haddock, Shia LaBeouf, or Mark Wahlberg. Oh man, got to go with Marky Mark. <laughs> uh, More than meets the eye slash Lost Light R.I.D. slash Optimus Prime or Till All or One. Oh gosh, um, I, that's like asked me to pick which one of my kids I like the best. Um, I mean, I think Barber's book probably probably hits my sensibilities the best. But there are times when I read James is that I'm laughing out loud. I'm going, man, this is like this is the perfect Transformer sitcom. And Marguerite, I I guess I'll say Barber, but I I really like all three. Fair enough. I know that's a, that's a hard question yeah. for for the publisher yeah. of the comic. <laughs> uh, third party toys, yes or no. Um, I, it's, I have one on my bookshelf that is a Chris Charger toy somebody made me, so I have to say yes. Hasbro <laughs> awesome. might say no, but I have to say yes. <laughs> uh, cats or dogs? Cats. Coffee or tea? Coffee. Chicken or steak? Chicken. Pepsi or Coke? Ew, water. <laughs> Does that count? Yeah, that, that's, that's fine. You, you could provide your own answer if you don't like the ones we provide. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Burger King or McDonald's? Taco Bell. History or science? Science. Xbox, PlayStation, or Switch? Uh, PlayStation. Call of Duty or Battlefield? Call of Duty. PC or Mac? Mac. iPhone or Android? iPhone. What phone app can you not live without? Uh, Probably the podcast app. Cool. (laughs) Marvel, DC, or IDW? (laughs) (laughs) Well, I guess I'd be biased if I picked the last one. So I'll pick the first one I ever read as a kid, which I'll go with Marvel. And do you have a favorite Marvel character? The Thing. Oh, cool. Stallone or Schwarzenegger? Stallone. He didn't wreck uh, California's economy. (laughs) (laughs) Zoe Saldana, Scarlett Johansson, Maggie Q, Ryan Reynolds, Stephen Yoon, or Chadwick Boseman? Chadwick. He's going to be a great Black Panther. Awesome. Twilight or Hunger Games? Oh, God. Uh, Hunger Games by default, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> Pixar or DreamWorks? Pixar. Star Wars or Star Trek? Ah, now I published both of those, too. Um, <laughs> Star, Star Wars was the first love, so I'll go with Star Wars. All right. Simpsons, Family Guy, or Rick and Morty? Simpsons. Still Simpsons. <laughs> Walking Dead or Game of Thrones? Game of Thrones. NFL, MLB, NHL, UFC, or NBA? 
Um, MLB, although it's, it has taken a hit for me since Vin Scully, who's the announcer of the Dodgers, retired. Like he was, he, anyway, I'll, I'll still say MLB. All right. Yeah. He's a legend. Porsche, Ferrari, Lamborghini, or VW Beetle? Porsche, because at least it's fast and some of the models are practical. All right. Our last question, blonde, brunette, or redhead? Oh, man. Uh, I, my, my wife's a brunette, so I, there's, there's a safe answer there. So we'll go with the safe, smart answer. <laughs> that, uh, that, that tends to be the right one. So that, <laughs> right. So, <laughs> thanks. Uh, yeah. Thanks so much for, uh, for taking the time to talk to us and thanks for, for braving the gauntlet with rapid fire. We, we love having our guests do that. It's always interesting to hear the answers they get. And uh, yeah, it was good questions, man. Good talking to you guys. Yeah, thanks so much. And just to wrap up, is there anything you want to tease or, or plug uh, coming soon from IDW, particularly Transformers or the Hasbro universe? I mean, I think there's probably nothing bigger to tease than the the Unicron thing. So that's that is going to have far-reaching effects, but not necessarily the kind that people expect. I'll just say that. Oh, interesting. Okay. And we we did hear about Visionary, so we know that's coming. And, of course, uh, First Strike continues for the next couple of months, so everyone can check those out. Would you like to give any, uh, if you know, if you folks want to talk to you or contact you on the Internet, is there a social media that you prefer? Twitter's probably easiest, but I'm on Twitter, I'm on Facebook, I'm on Instagram. Twitter and Instagram are Chris underscore Ryle, and then Facebook is just my name. So I'm, I'm all over if people uh, need me for anything. Awesome. All right. Thank you so much for your time, and uh, we really enjoyed talking to you. Thanks again. Yeah, me too. Appreciate it, guys. Thanks. Thanks for listening to Transmissions. Remember, you can help support the show by donating to us directly via Patreon or PayPal. Once you become a donor, you will receive access to donor-only goodies, like donor-only contests, listening to us record Transmissions live, and getting Transmissions swag at 20% off. You can find links for this at transmissionspodcast.com slash support. Subscribing to us on Stitcher, iTunes, and Google Play is also a great way to support us here at Transmissions. Every subscription we get helps us get better noticed on those services. Leaving us a comment and five-star review doesn't hurt either. Be sure to come chat with us on Discord. You will find a link for Discord at transmissionspodcast.com slash discord. And of course, you can always send us an email at feedback at transmissionspodcast.com. Thank you all for listening, and we'll see you again next week.